Welcome to the Food Professor Podcast, Season 3, Episode 23. I'm Michael LeBlanc. And I'm the Food Professor, Sylvain Chalabois. Well, Sylvain, back in the home office, back from Spain, bags That's still right. packed, though. I'm off to Montreal for a keynote uh, tomorrow with some tech folks and the state of future of retail. I learned a lot. I actually got some great insights in, in Spain. You and I will be seeing each other again real soon here in Toronto next week. Unbelievably, Seattle is already big, great food innovation show next week. Now, I understand you're going to be on the road I think to Calgary this week. Yeah. Or, or what's your what's your schedule? What's going on? Uh, I'm off to Calgary for a few days with CDL, the um, the accelerator program for startups. So I'll be meeting uh, some of the startups that I've been mentoring for the last uh, nine months, uh, mm-hmm. and they and they come from all over the world. So we just uh, go to Calgary to meet this week. So I'm looking forward to uh, to meet uh, entrepreneurs and, mm-hmm. and see how their their business has uh, has evolved, really. Mm-hmm. And so get an update on that. Uh, and you I'm said CDL. You said CDL. What's uh, what's the that? Creative for the Destruction Lab. So I'm a scientific mentor for okay. for the lab there. So they have several programs across. Across the world, one of them, uh, the only one uh, focusing on agri-food is the one in Calgary. So it's hosted by the University of Calgary. So I'm looking forward to that. It's a very well-run program, to be honest. It's uh, because it it disciplines startups. So over nine months, you have to meet Mm -hmm. clear objectives. If you don't, you're out. So every time we meet as mentors, we meet five times. We actually vote some companies out. So entrepreneurs are held accountable. Uh, so if they want to raise funds, if they want to mm-hmm. raise for, uh, for some serious funding, uh, they have to really perform very well, which is why at the tail end of the nine-month program, you get some really good companies performing. Sure. They've been through five stage gates. They've exactly. made it through. And oh, that's interesting. Super interesting. So we start with 25. We finish typically with nine or 10. Oh, at the end of that what nine ten month nine process? Months. Yeah, very interesting. And um, there's a super session in Toronto hosted by the Rotman School of Business. Oh, okay. Uh, and I'll be I'll be in my, I'll be in Toronto uh, on June fifteenth ish. Oh, okay. To be part of that super session representing the UFC. Uh, we've got a great, very special guest on this episode. We are heading west to Saskatchewan to meet Dixon Delorme, aka Quick Dick McDick. A Quick Dick McDick. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you, you, you mastered that. A farmer. I, I just, I wish I had that name. You know? <laughs> I know. I, I will have to, off mic, we'll have to work on, uh, well, the food professor is pretty great too. It's so, not you know, bad. It's, yeah, it's pretty bad. good. It's pretty yeah. good. Um, anyways, Saskatchewan farmer. He's got both, uh, farmland. He's got some cattle, a very popular YouTube sites. I like 12 oh. million views on his videos. They're really super well done. You know, as a YouTuber myself, I really, uh, hats Love off. His work. They're, Love they're, they're his work. Love his work. Great. A, a mix of, um, a mix of education, politics, opinion, and humor. I mean, he just, it, it's a real, they're really interesting to watch. Now, we've also had a restaurateur chef with a YouTube channel, Sam the Cooking Guy, uh, on before. What caught your attention about Dixon? You, you brought, you put him forward. What, what, how did this start? What did, is YouTube get your attention or how did you come across him? Uh, actually, I didn't even know who he was until last year. I was keynoting uh, the uh, Cane Grain Farmers Association's uh, AGM. And before I went on stage, they had this video uh, of of this guy called Quick Dick McDick. I had no idea who he was. So I sat in the audience, watched the video. I thought, this is what Canadian ag needs. That's exactly what we need. We need someone like that to connect with seeded dwellers in terms of what What's going on with farming? How farmers feel? What they're doing? It, I mean, his videos are real. They make they make farming look accessible and real and funny. And he goes into politics as well. Yeah, I thought, my goodness. And last year when I saw a video, wow. And I started to listen to his videos. And over the last mm-hmm. 12 months, I, I just basically fell in love with his work, really. Well, we'll get to our interview with a uh, great interview with Dixon a little later in the show. Let's jump into the news. Now, we were going to start, we kind of, uh, you know, a little tradecraft behind the scenes for the listeners. We, over the weekend, kind of go back and forth about what we're going to talk about a little bit. Uh, we we're going to talk about the PSA strike, but uh, late breaking news, the strike is uh, is mostly over. I understand there's a few bits and pieces left. Now, yeah. what I thought was interesting, there was a short strike, so, you know, at this time in the week, it's been uh, it's been evaluated. You thought it was short? Yeah. Like it was a lot of 10, people thought it was going to last a couple of days. 
Uh, no, I thought I thought it was short. Uh, you know, I thought it was resolved quickly. You know, what was interesting that jumped out, and this is what I was going to ask you about on this episode, so I'm still going to ask you about it, The uh, that there was an article in the CBC uh, talking about how the farmers were worried about a bunch of things, you know, port, you know, port closures and stuff like that. So that's been resolved. But there, there's some new um, work done by the Ag Department that's crops, uh, planting crops and experimentation and we miss a season. You alluded it to a prior episode. Could you unpack that for me and the listeners, the work that Ag Canada does that was so important? I wasn't aware of it. So I thought I thought we could spend a few minutes on it. Well, so there are two elements to, to the strike uh, when it comes to Ag Canada. One, uh, obviously is is related to risk management farmers when they see they want support and they and there are insurance uh, policies uh, if something happens for example uh, inspections have to happen uh, people need to talk to farmers when they're preparing to seed when they're preparing for the season and so when these people aren't around it's much more difficult to plan so that's so on a risk management side that what was going on on the other side of course you have to think about exports farmers are exporting winter wheat spring wheat uh, we most people think that we're only exporting in the fall we don't we actually export, export all year round and we need inspectors uh, from the cane grain Co- commission to actually inspect grains in order for them to, in order for shipments to comply uh, with regulations around the world and so uh, and that was not going on for a while so it really delayed shipments so the fact that uh, things have been resolved uh, this morning excluding the CRA uh, mm. is really good news for the agri-food sector for sure. The CRA obviously it affects every single taxpayers in the country but when it comes to agriculture uh, this morning's news was very good. Very good. And and there's some planting and experimentation. Talk about that a little bit because that's the part as well I'm kind of interested in that, that, we, that there was some worry we'd miss the season. What, what's that all about? Well, I mean, it's it, the fact that the, the, the I mean, the, the strike didn't really last all that long. So I don't think there's going to be any uh, lingering issues related to delays created mm. by the strike. I don't I don't think yeah, so. I, I was less worried about the delays and more just interested in the work like every year a number of new seed varietals and, and plots are planted and scientific research. That's the part I'm kind of wanted to get at is is I didn't know that work is done. Is that like even though I oh, live there's, there's near the always- Oh, there's trials all the time right. uh, and, for new right. seeds, and there's always research going on. And, of course, the big one these days is gene editing with CRISPR. Mm. Uh, so uh, it has been approved by Health Canada. Uh, it has not been approved by the CFIA with uh, feed and uh, and food, unfortunately, but that's uh, that's coming. So in order to get these approvals done, you need trials. You need to test. You need to grow. And so, uh, so there's going to be some delays, uh, but yeah, since yeah. since the strike has been resolved, uh, so that's that's good news yeah. uh, for mm-hmm. sure. It's yeah. a funny question in a way for me to ask. Growing up in Ottawa, about three blocks away from the experimental farms, uh, yeah. which was this. If you ever been to Ottawa, this huge amount of in the West End farmland that is used by Ag Canada. All right, well, uh, that's the good news. I mean, the tax folks are still uh, mm-hmm. on strike, but. Uh, we can move on past past exactly. that. Let's let's talk about uh, remilk. So, uh, approved in Israel uh, is yep. kind of the latest news. But I, it's so fascinating because we we've been talking over our history of our pod is you know we've got uh, alternative beverages that don't and can't be called milk. You know, oat and other kinds of uh, soy. And then you've got on the other hand, we talked about Josh Tetrick is his eat just and his lab grown meats that may or may not be called chicken now we've got milk that acts like milk so it's more like eat just it's more lab grown milk talk about the lab grown milk i think you've actually had some tell us all about it for those who don't know what's going on and and what happened in uh, in israel yeah, some cheese uh, was uh, shipped by Remilk to us uh, last year, and it was cream cheese and tasted cream cheese. And uh, I think I, I spoke about it uh, on our podcast uh, last year. Yeah. Couldn't actually tell the difference. It was amazing. And, and they use precision fermentation. That's the process behind uh, the fabrication of some of these new products. And so I'm not a food scientist, so I can get I can't really mm. get into the technicalities of the science. But it's really about making dairy or dairy cells without 
the, without the cow, essentially. Like you, chicken, chicken without the chickens. This is dairy without the cows. Exactly. And so, so it's been approved in Israel, which is a big deal. And mm-hmm. uh, they're looking, uh, and I suspect because it's Israel, they have allies all over the world. So I do expect... Sure that product to be uh, to be approved in other countries around the world and frankly this is this is scary for dairy no pun uh, it is really because uh, wow. you can basically control a lot of things like uh, we've talked about milk dumping on our podcast before sure. animal welfare that you know, contents the, whatever exactly yeah, and yeah. right now milk is being priced out of the market because of the costs um costs are going up so if you can actually make cheese or make dairy products in a lab and control costs without killing anything or uh it's really an appealing and for of course we haven't talked about the environment the environment is a big argument too Mm. so all of these things are just making the technology much more appealing of course at the end of the day What's going to happen with labeling? What's going to happen with how it's sold? Sure. That's. I think there's going to be uh, many variations around the world, including Canada. And as you know, milk can get very political in really? Canada. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I don't think it's a done deal in Canada for sure because the lobby group, yeah. Dairy Farmers of Canada, uh, and they're in the second round of the – NHL playoffs with their logo on the Maple That's Leaf right. jersey. That's great. They made a good bet. They, <laughs> they got the second round first time. They're going to be uh, promoting the uh, dairy products in, in, powered uh, by in milk. Florida. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Stanley Cup powered by milk. There you go. <laughs> Let's get on to some data. So we you, you sent this to me, and we were chatting kind of off mic about it. And there's some weirdness in StatsCan data around consumer spending in grocery. And we seem to have a contradiction. And the contradiction, and you've written a couple of op-eds about it, is basically that people seem to be buying less. Now, we would say to ourselves, well, people kind of need to eat what they need to eat. What what did you see in the data, and what's your hypothesis about what's going on? Well, the hypothesis I, I had in my mind was that people are forced to spend more due to inflation. I mean, if you want to, if you want to actually eat the same thing, if, you're, if you want to continue to buy the same things, you will have to spend more and things are more expensive at the grocery store and and the 10.4% conveyed by statistics canada is just an indicator many products are 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 much more expensive than 10% these days so i thought that perhaps people are spending more relative to income uh, or more relative to other things they buy in retail Which would make because sense right basic yeah, math would make sense I mean, you, right you need, now yeah. food inflation is outpacing other sectors of the economy well yeah. guess what when you actually look at statscan's data since 2017 uh, in 20 in 2017 uh, Canadians were spending about 17% of all their money uh, in retail in food at the grocery store it's down to 15%, which is a bit counterintuitive. And when you look at per capita expenses last year compared to this year, despite a growth in our population of a million people, right? Uh, the right. average Canadian is was spending last year 255 bucks at the grocery store retail. And this this spring it is basically the same amount. But with $255, you're buying less. So what's going on here? And right. that's really the question that I'm asking myself. So if people are spending the exact same money compared to last year, what has changed? Are they uh, consuming less calories? Are they wasting less? Are they buying less? Are they b- switching to trading private, down or junk labels or, or being more there's lots of stuff going on i think and but mm-hmm. the bottom line when i i don't know how you reacted to the graph that i shared with you yeah how i saw the graph was was that grocers are under tremendous pressure right now because of a moving and it makes sense because Loblaw's year-to-year sales, food sales are up 8.4%, which is below the inflation rate. Hmm. They're making money selling other things. That's why revenues are way up. The pharmacy so when it business, comes to, for example, yeah, the, so, the shopper's drug market. So when you actually think about it, it, it actually makes sense. But out there, I can tell you, out there, 
a lot of consumers are just under pressure and they're just they've changed the way they shop for sure they're trading down sideways buying junk look at coca-cola's results i mean they're doing nestle coca-cola pepsico they're all doing very well why yeah. because i think a lot of people are shifting towards mm -hmm. some of their pro some of those products that are either not necessarily always cheaper, but they're more processed and uh, Higher so the caloric, fresh, uh, the mm. fresh is being uh, not boycotted. But uh, I think mm. people are buying less fresh. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Well, let's let's keep an eye on it. It's super interesting. I mean, I was hoping the outcome would be something more like I'll be more conscious of what I buy. I'll buy just what I need. There'll be less pantry loading, perhaps, as the trade would call it. But what's uh, frustrating, you know. as the, as you know, Michael, the overpowering mm -hmm. narrative out there is that grocers are gouging consumers. I honestly, this is more evidence. More that evidence it, that they're not. Right? They're not. Right. Exactly. More evidence that they're not. Um, that ship may have sailed in terms of public perception. But uh, over time, uh, I think. Have you seen dated, Galen Weston on TV the last few weeks? I have not. I think. Uh, there now, you go. I, you know. I and think, he's still uh, president and CEO until next year, by the way. So this is uh, this is the announcement. Yeah, yeah. Since the announcement, he disappeared. Yeah, he yeah. just disappeared. And, well, and what's, frankly, what's, what's, I think what's it's the a name good of the thing. new guy coming in. It's like a, a no-name guy, Mister Bank. <laughs> Mister um, Bank. I remember the name, Mister Bank from from Pear, uh, Pear Denmark. Bank, his name. Yeah, Pear Bank. Wow. Be interesting to get his uh, Europeans' perspective. The Europeans think about uh, there's nothing rotten in Denmark for Loblaw for sure. Well, there's lots. It's interesting after being in Barcelona and just listening to Europeans and how they think about uh, things. I mean, they have their you know the pressure here in Canada around the Ukraine and war in Europe is is it's there, but there it's very front and center with them, right? I mean, and, oh yeah, and of course, you know. The UK, there's a couple of bunch of folks in the UK, and they're talking about how they they basically did an own goal on themselves anyway, because yeah. <laughs> with the Brexit thing anyway. So very interesting. But the fact that Galen Weston has disappeared mm -hmm. or will disappear for a while, I think, is really I think a good idea. He became a, a, an inconvenient distraction, really. Yeah. Uh, I think he's a great CEO. He's, he runs a great company, clearly. But yeah. he, he just became this lightning rod uh, unnecessarily, yeah. really. Yeah, um, communication strategies and, and such. And I think the tenor is, you know, th there's only so much energy that can be expanded on a single issue. Eventually, it's going to die out, and there'll be another issue that will take its exactly. place, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, whatever, that, whatever that next but issue is. I feel is. for grocers in general, because uh, I think mm. the attacks are, are unwarranted, but mm -hmm. perceptions are perceptions. Yeah, I think there's an opportunity for them to get ahead of this a year and a half ago, but um, anyway, what do I know? Um, it is what it is. It is what it is. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get to our great interview with Dixon, uh, aka Quick, Quick Dick. Dick, Dick. Quick Dick McDick. <laughs> let's get to that interview right now. Well, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Uh, I'm an admirer of his. Uh, I've been watching uh, many of his of his YouTube uh, videos, and I know I know a lot of our listeners are have actually watched uh, his his performances on YouTube. It's just been amazing to watch. A great ambassador to uh, Canadian agriculture. Uh, we're welcoming today Dixon Delorme, better known as Quick Dick Mick. Dick, I'm a French guy, so it's it's it needs work. Yeah, and I have to I have to practice to say that. <laughs> pronunciation thing. on that was particularly good, Sylvan. That was very <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm so honored to have uh, Quick Dick McDick uh, joining us today on our podcast. So welcome. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be here. I've been looking forward to it as well. I've followed you for a while as well here, uh, Dr. Charlotte. And of course, every now and then I get to catch you on Saskatchewan's biggest conversation here uh, on the Gormley Show, right? So yeah, exactly. no, it's, uh, it's just, a, just a pleasure to be here, gents. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, tell us about yourself. Where do you live and uh, your story? I mean, uh, you're, you're well known now, you're a star, you're a YouTube star. So tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself and uh, and where you're from and you know your story. Okay, well, I, I think that's gross misuse of the word star, but I'll let you use it if you want to. Uh, <laughs> I uh, so my name's Dixon Delorme, yeah, and I was uh, I'm, I'm from uh, a little a tiny little uh, a tiny little town called Tufnell, Saskatchewan, uh, where I, I grew up. I was born in Maple Creek, but I don't really remember it. I was too young, and my uh, dad chased a. A cowboy career with the PFRA, uh, the Federal Community Pasture System, up into the Tuffle oh, area yeah, here. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, this is uh, this is where I grew up and went to school in the town of Foam Lake, and I got to grow up on a community pasture, just being a little cowboy and riding around and roping and all that fun stuff. And uh, 
basically got to learn well you never learn everything about anything but i got to learn a lot about uh, about cattle and and marginal land grazing as a, as a young kid yep. and uh How like many, many of my have so uh just right now on, on the commercial operation that i'm on we've got 350 cow calf pair um okay. and, and that's what we run here and then we do four thousand acres of grain uh, and it's been a very the- very ca- busy calving season <laughs> it, it has been yeah we start we start calving on the first of march and then we're we're just finishing up right now we're we're down to the last we've got four to go here right now so cool yeah we're almost there yeah uh, we, were, we were talking then, off mike that some of some of the calves were uh, twins and and i said uh, you know the retailers are called that a bogo or a buy one get one <laughs> bit of value there yeah. it's it, yeah it, it totally is yeah and it's uh yeah when everything goes good and you've got a strong mother and uh, and and a and a good set of twins uh it's 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 good and don't, nobody ever really scoffs at having twins but you know, with the, with those twins, there there comes birthing problems a lot of the time too. A lot of the time, you have two of them backwards, or one of them backwards, one of them facing the Yikes. other way, and yeah. you usually uh, you usually got to get in there and give them a hand getting out. And uh, we got uh, we just got really lucky this year, yeah, guys. We had a, we had a great calving season, and uh, you can always look back on it now because it's almost over, and you can be like, that was fantastic. But when it's four o'clock in the morning and the fifteenth of March, and it's minus yeah. thirty five with the wind, I don't know if I have the same attitude or not, right? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love the Saskatchewan winter for sure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So listen, uh, as as a farmer, uh, I mean, how how did your upbringing influence you as a farmer, and what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing right now uh, as a as a Saskatchewan farmer? Well, I think uh, if, growing up, I, I was more on the on the beef production side of things, and just just recently, in about the last five years here, I've really uh, really dialed into the grain side here with the with the bar ranch, a, a, a ranch that I uh, work on slash farm with right now, and uh, it's it's been a real changing experience, but it's been good for me. Uh, we're coming into some really interesting times here in agriculture, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, but, uh, it's always going to be challenging. I, I, I think, uh, anybody that farms will tell you that, uh, you don't just come and get to get to push crews and get to farm and everything's just going to be fine. You know, uh, some of the bigger challenges I think that we're, we're seeing now, and I think we're going to continue to see in the, into the future, uh, is going to be, you know, commodity pricing specifically right now. We saw a real yep. run on canola. And I think a lot of guys had got into trouble, uh, the year before in this area specifically i can't speak for all areas of canada because we have so many different uh demographics right. of agriculture here right but in this area specifically we got into uh you know some some issues with guys contract for pricing some grain uh that got into some drought problems uh that couldn't quite get the yield uh, to cover some of the forward pricing that they'd done this year uh we had you know we had some some good uh some good yielding crops from the previous crop year and a lot of guys had cold feet on forward pricing so a lot of guys didn't forward price a lot of their grain and then kept waiting for that run on canola to go farther go farther go farther and then all of a sudden you know guys were looking at 20 to 25 dollar canola at different times and looking at the price fertilizer and saying no okay we can purchase our fertilizer and everything right now just because of where our commodity prices are a lot a lot of people held on to that commodity for too long. We saw a crash in canola prices, and unfortunately, we saw the fertilizer prices and everything follow that crash. And now there's a lot of guys that are holding some pretty expensive fertilizer in their bins uh, with a commodity price that's pretty low. So, you know, just one of the many uh, issues that we face. You know, we've got a, a carbon tax that's a problem. We've got fuel prices that are a problem. Uh yeah, there's there, there's never a shortage of problems, you know, or challenges if that's what you want to call them. But uh, that's that's what farming is. It's a challenge, right? Oh, absolutely, and and most farmers I know are very, uh, they're optimists, they're eternal optimists. They're always looking at uh, the bright side of things, of course. And uh, but what would what would you say to someone who wants to go into farming, like right now? So you you're at a coffee shop, someone comes in, sits in front of you, and says, "Listen, I want to go into farming." What what would be your advice? I, well, the, my first question would be, "Have you hit your head?" And then my second question. <laughs> no, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I love it when people want to get into pharma. I guess my, my advice would be to make sure that you have a, a financial plan to do it, uh, especially now. Like another challenge that we're experiencing uh, specifically here in our area is, is not only available land, but if you can find available land, the, the price of land, you know. 
Um, we've got a, there's a lot of larger corporate farming corporations that are coming in and, and purchasing up large blocks of land from a lot of people that are looking to retire. I mean, as we look over the next 10 years, I mean, we're looking at, what is it, a, a 40% retirement rate for what we currently have farming here in Saskatchewan. So there's a lot of guys that are hitting that retirement age and are looking to, to cash out on that land. Uh, so you need to be dialed in to make sure that you can get the land available for what you need. And you need to make sure that you are financed and ready to go for it. You need to be able to jump on it and you have to have a plan and you can't plan to have the absolute best bumper crop you're going to have every year, every year, every year. You might have three years where you don't get anywhere close to what you're going to get. And it might be that fourth year that saves you. But, uh, you know, farming doesn't just happen overnight. That's something that I've learned getting back home and getting into grain farming in the last little bit is that it takes time and it takes money and it takes perseverance. And one of the other things it takes is uh, increasingly a uh, an understanding and adoption of uh, adoption of technology. So let's talk about that. How has that changed in even in your lifetime as a, a professional farmer? How how has that changed? And and what do you see as the future in uh, technology uh, from drones to uh, moisture sensing to all these things? Talk about that for a bit. I uh, I, th- I think we're in uh, one of the coolest times uh, that agriculture has experienced in the last little while because we're like we're in the we're in the technological revolution right now. We've all gone through the industrial revolution. Well, we haven't gone through it, but I mean, our society went through the industrial revolution. We're in the technological revolution right now, and it's it's an incredible time to be alive, and, and especially in farming. Um, I, I think it's an amazing thing. You know, we we have a labor shortage in our industry. And I, I see technology as a way of, of getting around it. We, we see it happening already. And uh, I've got a family member that works directly for a large ag equipment producer. And the technology they're coming with, we're, we're to the point here now where we can almost drive two combines with one operator. Uh, yeah, I was close to say. Self-driving, right? Do you see absolutely, that? Absolutely, yeah. That's in, that's in then, your lifetime uh, future, yeah? Yeah, like it, it's, it's, yeah, absolutely. It is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not far away. There, there's a lot of it happening right now. I think one of the biggest things that we're going to see, you guys mentioned it already, is one of my favorite things to geek out on and talk about is is drone technology. You know, we uh, we have spray planes that we've tried to do lots of times. Let, let's use uh, let's use Metcalf barley, say a malt barley, for example. If you've got to apply a late season fungicide to it, you don't want to bring a sprayer through and drive it over that barley crop. I mean, there's a chance you could lose anywhere between you know. 10 to $15 an acre, maybe even more just by driving over it with your sprayer. So the, the thing to do used to be, and I'm not, I hope no crop dusters want to pounce on me for this, but the thing used to be to do to, to you got to bring in a crop duster to do that. Now it's expensive and it requires a plane and it's got to come up and land and it takes four different people to do it. Well, you look at some of the drone technology and where we're headed. I mean, if you've got a three day window where you can spray your crop and you've got a couple of drone sprayers that can land on their own dock and load themselves and charge themselves and do their thing, all you got to do is set your geofence and push go and they can go spray your crop. Do you know how many rocks I can pick while that's happening, guys? Like, that's mm. <laughs> like that's how we slowly win with technology here. And I mean, the amount of chemical that we're going to be able to start saving on a lot of these things when we could start doing spot spraying and using plant identification on, on some of these drones and what we can do with chemical, I think, is just such such the right way to head. Uh, but at the same time, I would say it's it's also kind of a dangerous way to head too. Uh, mm. if you guys are headed with where uh, with where I'm going with that. Yeah. Uh, I think it it comes back to challenges where this is one of the best things that's happening for us, but it's going to be one of our biggest challenges. I think is that uh, now we have, say we have four or five, six companies alone, maybe even less at that, that are going to have the specific technology required to do this kind of thing uh, on, on a, on a drone that's probably going to be connected to them, need to be connected to the mothership that we're going to have to start paying, you know, user fees and subscription Mm -hmm. fees and everything to, that's a place where a corporation can start kind of holding you a little bit. You know what I mean? Which is, I, I, I know Dr. Charlotte, where, uh, where, where you do a lot of great research too, is where we, you know, we see big food corporations and uh, you know, distributing corporations and all these things. They, uh, they, yep. they have us all kind of in line where we need their services. Right. And if us as growers put ourselves in that position too, then, you know, we, we kind of have to, pay whatever they need from us to be able to use the services that we've set up our operation to depend on. Right. Mm. Yeah. That's no, a good way to think about it for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it really strikes me as the art and science of, uh, of your trade craft. Is there any technology? Let me ask you, let me dig a little deeper on this. Is there any sure. technology that's, that's disappointed you 
And on the other side, is there any technology that's pleasantly surprised you in terms of it's actually delivered what it promised? So in, in, you know, there's lots of talk about lots of stuff. So is there anything you've, you know, in general, not brands, but you kind of, uh, technology trends that are like this is not <laughs> what it's supposed to do and and um, i'm not interested in it. and then on the other side of that you, you know uh yeah there's uh yeah okay and we'll definitely keep brands out of it for sure <laughs> i'll yeah. throw a bunch of people under the bus you know i, I get a, obviously i get a lot of stuff sent to me but i think it's just like anything I, I, sometimes i can i compare the agricultural industry to you know the uh the pharmaceutical industry or some of these other places where there's a lot of snake oils out there you know what i mean right uh yeah. where you get oh you know we've got this specific uh additive that you can add to your sprayer tank for this much per liter per acre and it's only this much per acre and you're going to get this much of a difference on your on your uh, on your yield on your crop and you're like okay so finally you get talked into it you try it and then you run your test plot and you're, you run it on an entire quarter section and then you look at your yield from the year before and you're like okay guess we didn't we didn't really gain anything here you know we're kind of where we were but then everyone's got this crush that they can go back out of well did you have the exact same weather yeah, as yeah, you yeah, did yeah, last yeah. year or you're like okay you're starting to sound like an amway salesman now you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> There's, uh, you know, there, there's, there's lots of things like that, but I mean, uh, you know, uh, when you get into, you know, VR, like when you get into variable rate and sectional control and some of this stuff, it, it is, uh, it, it is just so blatantly obvious that the first time that you use it, and I mean, we've been using a lot of stuff for a long time now, but just the, the first time you use it and when your growing season's over and you look at, uh, at what you put into your crop versus what you got out of it when you're using a lot of these these different technologies that are out there it is it is literally a no-brainer to do it mm, you know right it's right. Uh, a lot of this stuff is ROI from anywhere between three to five years. It seems expensive at the time, but you know, if any salespeople out there, which they already have it nailed down, but I mean, if you're looking for a way to sell something to a farmer, don't show them how much it's going to cost. It's it's mm. like you're you're trying to sell some lady a, a pair of shoes that's on sale to be like don't tell them how much it's going to cost it hey you know what it, it, sell it to a lady farmer the same way don't tell her how much it's going to cost her for her farm tell her how much she's going to save you hey. know what i mean and then you're like wait yeah. a minute how much am i saving okay yeah. bring that over here right yeah very very savvy approach um let's yeah. uh, let's switch gear. let's switch gears a little bit so you've got a very popular youtube channel i think i saw you had almost uh, up to like 14 million downloads so congratulations on that what inspired you to start well, your youtube channel thanks yeah it uh, that whole thing has just happened completely by accident <laughs> if you believe that or not it's uh like, it's, like this it's, podcast actually <laughs> <laughs> but i mean you know some i like to compare it to uh you know uh, like Every now and then you go out on the town or you meet up at one of your buddies' places and, you, and you're just having a drink and all of a sudden two other neighbors stop over and mm. before you know it, it's four o'clock in the morning and you've had one of the best nights and you got to sleep in his barn because you can't drive home and everything and yeah. it just kind of happened by accident, you know what I mean? And some of the best times or best things just happen by accident. I had no intentions for this to happen whatsoever uh, and to be honest, I'd, I'd left a... I'd left a career in oil and gas and the transportation side of it. I worked oil and gas transportation for 19 mm-hmm. years in uh, Northern Alberta. And I just kind of got out of it. And I was in between careers. I'd, I'd come back home and I was actually supposed to head to Australia to continue working in the Moomba desert, believe it or not. <laughs> and, uh, I just, uh, kind of fell in love with being back home and just found myself doing some goofy things that we'd always done around here. Mm-hmm. And one day I thought well, I, I had named myself because my name's Dixon Delorme. So Quick Dick McDick is a is a play on my name, yeah. and that's yeah. how I started my Snapchat handle because I didn't want anybody to find me on social media. I just kind of <laughs> wanted to be alone at home. Sure, sure. And uh, who would ever look for a guy named Quick Dick McDick? Right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I apparently just, many just, people. Yeah, yeah I yeah. guess. Yeah. yeah. And just one day I was, uh, I was cruising around with my dad and we were going to cut firewood. And, uh, I, I just, I was just like, you know what, what we're doing right now is just classic Saskatchewan stuff. And for some reason at that point in time, I just realized that it was funny. And so I made this little Snapchat story and mm. it just went crazy. I had like one person on Snapchat when it started. And then I don't even know how many I've got now. It just, Yeah. Yeah, uh, it just kind of started taking on its own its own shape and its own thing, and yeah, 
people would start asking me, well, what do you, what do you have going on in the background there? And so I, I started doing little episodes on what I have going on in the background. And then I started making fun of neighbors farms and doing some other <laughs> stuff. And, uh, it just, it just kind of took off and it got to the point where I couldn't keep up to it on Snapchat. Cause they only, your stories only stay up for 24 hours. So I just yeah. shuffled it over to YouTube and I was like, here, you can just watch. Everybody can just watch over here and you can just watch as many times as you want. And like, here we are today, literally I, I haven't, tried to push it i haven't tried to promote it i like i just i let it be it's social media thing i don't try and fight algorithms i just i upload mm. it and people either watch or they don't you know what i mean yeah well you're you're a real natural on camera and they're very well produced and edited i mean i was just watching your your shot on uh, on oats and you've got you know you got drone footage you've got you know it's really informative too like it like you're you know as you watch the different episodes they're really a unique blend of of your humor uh, politics and, and education. How do you balance these three? Because, you know, what are you trying to get? What are you trying to convey to your viewers? Or is that, am I being too, am I reading too much into it? Or you, you're just making videos <laughs> that are fun, but, but really some of your videos are really interesting. Oh, yeah. They're both educational and, and, uh, they're also, they make a point you've already brought up about, uh, things around, uh, the, you know, that impact you that are out of your control. Like, uh, yeah. you know, climate change uh, and, well, and how we're dealing with it. So how do you blend these three things and how do you approach it the next episode? I, I, I appreciate your, your compliments. Thanks, Michael. It's a, there's a, you spend a lot of hours at the kitchen table at three in the morning editing video for some reason, but, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 at first, at first when I was, uh, when I, when, when it started catching traction, uh, you know, I was just kind of just whatever, whatever seemed to be the, the topic of the day, I, I'd be like, Hey, we can talk about that. Or we can talk about this kind of thing. And my, my, my only goal ever has been and still is, is just to entertain people and keep people laughing. It's, it's the point of the whole thing, because if we can't laugh at anything in the world, like what do we really have left? And to be honest, there's sometimes where there's nothing left to do but laugh at some of the things that are going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that's a good point. Uh, yeah, that's a good. But point. it's uh, it's it, it kind of started off. You know, there would be some some political stuff that I would do, but like it, it gets so boring and it can get so politics can get so toxic all the time. And when people started asking questions about what I was doing in the background, I was like, oh hey, you know what? I, I can make a funny video about. Uh, you know, about maybe bailing or, uh, you know, about just something completely random on the farm, like right. number nine wire, you know what I mean? And, uh, so that kind of, <laughs> it just, it just started getting fun to do those ones and you get a lot of great comments. And then, uh, I, I remember I had one, uh, I had one lady reach out to me and she's like, we really love your videos that you do, but, uh, I, I just wish I could show them to my kids but you just swear so much in some of them. And I was like, okay, fair. I was like, fair point. I guess I'd never thought of that. And, uh, yeah, but yeah. I remember being a kid and I remember my parents not letting me watch stuff because, uh, because it was too yeah. profane. And I was like, well, no, well, there's no reason I can't do some kids videos. Well, we'll do some, maybe some dancing and get some different music in there. And we'll just, you know, just show people what's going on on the farm. And like that led to even the oats one you were just talking about there, Michael. Like, I mean, it was a series that I did right from, when yeah. we seed it all the way to when we take it to the elevator. And I've even got a video from a couple of years ago where we visited uh, grain millers in York. And then we go through the whole processing plant in a, in a fun way that kids can watch. Right. So yeah, yeah it's uh, it, and it, it's, it's not a hard thing for me to navigate because I'm not a guy that's uh, that's really worried about corporate sponsorship or anything. I just, uh, I'm here to be me and I'm here to, to do this for my community and uh, the worst thing that could ever happen, lots of people always ask me, is if you ever worry if you get canceled? Like, what if you get canceled for saying something that you think, but maybe you shouldn't say? I'm like, well, we all know what we should and shouldn't say online. I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. take a genius to figure out what you shouldn't say. I mean, we all had, you know, parents teach us right from wrong growing up. Uh, I don't say anything that's too offside. And if it ever gets to the point where, you know, I get quote unquote canceled off of social media, I mean, does that mean I just get to go back to farming without having to video my life every day? That's not that bad either. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. But yeah. I'm sure you get you get uh, you get unpleasant comments once in a while. We all do, really. Yeah. And, uh, when yeah. you're when you're out there for sure, when you express an opinion, uh, regardless, you're you you will end up uh, getting getting uh, some criticism. But uh, you've been really successful. Uh, 
not just promoting farming, but advocating for farming and farmers. And I can think of many, many podcasts over the years who've, uh, which have tried to do the same, but uh, you've been really, really successful in, in doing this. What would, be, what would be your advice to anyone who would want to uh, you know, promote farming in general? And uh, what's, 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 the, what's in the secret sauce really for you? It's, uh, you know, it's funny. We, we, we do, we do get negative comments and, and you and I both know that, uh, Dr. Charlo. I mean, I, I follow you pretty close on Twitter and there's <laughs> Twitter is lots of fun sometimes, you know, we just, just <laughs> oh, yeah. use the word fun in, in, in place of a lot of different things, but it's just, but it, there, it there's matter. criticism and then there are different, there's a, there's, there's a difference between criticism and mobs. Very much about mobs. <laughs> both of us have just been mobbed to death on Twitter oh, yeah. sometimes. And there's, oh, yeah. uh, I've, I've grown a very big set of shoulders metaphorically. Of course, I'm kind of a skinny guy, but, uh, I've grown a big set of shoulders. Just there's sometimes you're you're not going to win some conversations, and that'd be my my biggest advice to anybody trying to get into doing this or that is doing this is just don't go into a into an interaction with somebody like it's a competition and you're there to win or to one up somebody. I'm I'm here to to answer some reasonable questions, and uh, you know if it's a question that I don't know and it's a good question, I'm going to try and get to the bottom of it and get back to you. And if it's a question where you know somebody's just setting you up or is just trying to be pretentious or whatever, you know, usually I'll just say to the person, well, you seem really nice and give them a smiley face and just move on. You know what I mean? Because it's just some some fights just aren't worth having. Uh, some conversations are worth having, you know, and you, if you can find somebody that's willing to have a conversation, that's the important part of it. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I got, I got very lucky. I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, how, how do I grow my channel? How do I do this? How do I do that? And I was like, I, I, I wish I had the answer for you, but I don't because unfortunately we, we all just fight an algorithm on massive social media platforms, you know, uh, social media's job is is to keep people's faces buried into the platform that they're on. They don't want you to leave their platform. They want you to spend all their time, all your time on their platform. They want you to pay attention to their advertising, and uh, them keeping you there makes them more money, right? So when I uh, when I do my productions, I keep, I keep that in mind that uh, that content you want to have content that keeps people interested one of my bigger things is i use cutaway production i always change my background every 10 to 15 seconds and uh have you know different times of day different seasons all of a sudden my beard is a different length saying what i'm saying and i I try and strategically do that stuff to to keep people interested you know we have a very short attention span in our population nowadays if i'm not interested within the first you know three to five seconds of seeing what i'm seeing I'm going to scroll past it is kind of our mantra in, in society now. So it's to, to try and capture that very first part of the person's attention. And after you've captured it, it's your job to then hold it. So if you're trying to do productions, try, try and think of it that way. You, you, you need to, to reel them in right off the start. You got to set that hook. If anyone's a Fisher person out there, set that hook. <laughs> And then you got to keep reeling them in and reeling them in and reeling them in. But don't reel them in with garbage. Take good facts, take good information, and just try and present it in a, in a, in a fun way. Because if people are having fun and enjoying what they're watching, they're going to keep watching. If they get bored and don't want to watch it anymore, well, then they're not going to watch it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Your your videos are what on average about fifteen minutes long. Is that is that the average? Uh, it's it, it it really depends. I don't have a set target. I like to try and go over ten minutes with my educational ones because you, you can't really pack a lot into five or six minutes. Uh, if the the political ones, I keep a little bit shorter. But like it's just with anything, you can just go on and on and on and on with all of this stuff. But I, I hope everyone understands that when I do a like when I do a the video that I uploaded this morning, I think was somewhere around twelve minutes. Um, if you do one of those, I mean, you've got, you've got hours and hours and hours of getting footage and editing and storyboarding. And it's, it's a lot to put these productions together. Uh, and I mean, I've got a lot of respect for them, but you look at a lot of the guys that do farming blogs or vlogs or whatever you want to call them. And they, uh, they just walk around with a camera in front of them and just talk of what they're doing. And they flip around to a shot and they're like, They'll sit there for like five minutes. They're like, "Yeah, we're pumping concrete into the bin floor today. That's what we're doing." So, 
yeah. we're pumping concrete and I'm, and I'm sitting there watching this and I'm like, it, can you at least make a joke or put some music in the background or something <laughs> like I'm trying to, trying to stay conscious watching it. And I'm just like, and I just, I don't understand like how people can watch that stuff. But I mean, you know, once you find your audience and people that want to watch what you're watching, then once you've got that audience, then deliver to your audience what they want, you know? Exactly. And I, I just, I, I hope I, I know you have uh Sylvain. I like, I just hope I've built the audience that uh, they're, they're there for my content and I'm going to keep it honest. I'm going to keep it real. And I'm, I'm going to try and keep it entertaining because I think that's what people are, are here to here to see, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, uh, so what's next for you at Dixon? You know, uh, this has, this, <laughs> this social media thing is magically, uh, <laughs> in, in a strange way turned into live comedy. And, yeah. uh, I, I <laughs> am addicted. I, I, I'm absolutely addicted, uh, with, with, uh, <laughs> with, with doing the, the YouTube productions. It's, you have all the time in the world. If you don't like how you say something, or if you don't like a shot, you can redo it, you can clip it, you can edit it. Uh, I just love getting in front of a crowd and, uh, I've got about an hour and a half stand-up comedy show. Uh, that's not your typical comedy show. I talk about, I talk about stuff about how we grow up in small towns and farming stuff and, you know, how your parents raised you. And I've magically turned into one of those back in my day kind of guys, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know whether that means I'm old or not, but. Uh, and I'm just, I'm infatuated by it. And I love going around to small towns, booking halls, of, you know, three to 400 people and just drinking beer and having fun. And we have done, uh, unbelievable amount of fundraisers over the last two years with this live comedy. And I just, I can't get enough of it. And so I, I hope to be able to keep growing that side of, uh, of my craft here because it's just, it's, it's, it's kind of still fresh to me and I just love interacting with people. And the more that time that you spend going around to these small towns and seeing people, the more you realize that you're not alone in this world. There are so many people out there like us that have small towns like us, even people that live in big cities, they come from small towns. We're all the same as Canadians at heart. We just need to find each other and meet each other and find what we have in common across a table. And it's just, uh, that's, I'm just going to keep doing that as much as I can. Aside from farming, of course. Yes. <laughs> well, well, look, it's a great message. Uh, and our guest is Dixon DeLorme, a.k.a. Quick Dick McDick. All right, drop some social links to our listeners. How can folks uh, find you and where can they see your work and where can they get in touch? Okay, well, be, be very careful when you type these coordinates in. Uh, it's Quick Dick McDick at, uh, at Gmail, or sorry, quickdickmcdick.ca. Uh, I've got a okay. website there. I've got some Canadian made merch and some stuff. Uh, yeah, it's been a swag. pretty fun endeavor to get in on there. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm at quick Dick McDick on YouTube, Twitter, mm-hmm. Facebook, and on Instagram, they wouldn't let me have the name. So I'm QD McDick on Instagram, uh, <laughs> and TikTok every now and then, because I want Chairman yeah. Mao to have my banking information. <laughs> I'm at quick Dick McDick there as well. So you, you gotta, you gotta stay in, you gotta stay in touch with your uh, foreign clients, I guess. And that. yeah, that's right. Right, yeah, exactly. Exactly. they buy a lot of canola. From yeah. Us, they buy a lot mean, of canola, so. right? So, you know, what, what the heck? <laughs> hey, uh, Hey, listen, this has just been, uh, been so great. Congratulations on, uh, on your success and, and your work and, and, uh, your, your work to educate the rest of us, uh, in Canada about uh, the hard work that goes on, the great work that goes on in, in farming. And listen, we wish you the, the, a great season, a great season ahead, and uh, much continued success. And thanks for joining us on the Food Professor Podcast. Well, thank you, gentlemen, very much for having me. An absolute pleasure to be here. And yeah, I, I look forward to continuing following your guys' work as well. You do a great job. So uh, thanks for having me, and, uh, and we'll, we'll keep in touch. Eh? Yeah, take care, Dixon. All right, couple, we're back. Uh, what a great interview. Um, oh. You know, we, we wanted to start where, of course, we wanted to start, which was uh, Dixon is a farmer, and he's got a, a, just an interesting background. Uh, and it was just listening to him and how he approaches uh, his, his craft was, uh, was super interesting. Now, speaking of approaching their craft, one of our guests, Susan Karinsky-Robertson, uh, just won or is just nominated for a very prestigious award again, for the Michener Award for Meredith's Public Service Journalism. She was part of the team that investigated the story. Oh, of I missed Canada. that. Oh, good Just for came her. Out. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, the Globe got the nomination. Uh, so congratulations to Susan. You yes. know, this, the, I want to finish off this interesting story that caught my attention and get your thoughts on it. So there's, have you ever heard of Graza in uh, olive oil in, in squeeze bottles? Have you heard of this? There's this, um, 
trend. It's a direct. It's it's a DTC Spanish olive oil called Sizzle and Drizzle, and it is olive oil in squeeze bottles. Nothing new for the chefs listening, but it's really taking a little bit of uh, social media and media by storm. Is that they put two different types of oil from Spain, and this is where it kind of got my attention: a sizzle and a drizzle. In other words, this oil is mostly for cooking and this one is mostly for putting on top very interesting now they're complaining that other people are kind of taking the idea of putting olive oil in squeeze bottles and that's their idea uh, so so they're battling that have you what do you think you know olive oil is is such an interesting commodity around the world and and you know i think it's just innovation i expect to see a lot more of it uh, in a week at uh, at seattle what do you think about the olive oil market and, well i mean i i live marketing in of olive oil I lived in Austria for for one year, and what I learned uh, about about Europe and, and olive oil, uh, especially visiting northern Italy, and uh, and of course you you just you just been to Spain, so that's another area where olive oil is just so valued. I mean, yeah. you, and you, you can so just good. taste the it's difference. So oh my god, oh. so good. And I, uh, and but you pay for it too. Uh, in in Canada, we don't we do value olive oil, but we don't really invest in it uh, mm. and prices are are much lower and and i and i think that the quality is not as good so uh, my wife and i because we we lived in in europe we were very particular when it comes mm. to buying olive oil to be honest we don't we go to specialty shops interesting and but we pay the price we pay the yeah. price uh i don't i, I don't want to bash any brands here but uh typically when you buy olive oil at a grocery store in Canada, the quality is just not uh, at the level you would find mm. in, in many places around Europe. So the culture is just so different. Well, listen, yeah. uh, great, ep- great episode. Uh, and next week we'll be, uh, we'll, be, we'll be recording our episode live together, live on the floor at Seattle. So looking forward to that. we got a podcast studio. Uh, so ton of ton of fun. So until then, I'm Michael LeBlanc, Consumer Growth Consultant, Media podcaster and recently uh, uh, nominated as one of the top 100 global technology retail influencers so uh, wow seemed, so i added added that to my list so ching yeah i mean you're gonna run out me. of space for a cv <laughs> that's me and you are i'm not worthy no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i'm sylvain chambois the food professor all right everybody uh, safe travels uh, to you sylvain safe travels to everyone and uh, see you in Toronto and uh, everyone have a great rest of your day. Take care.